Hi, thanks again for tuning in to Dermcast TV. Rob Cascao again in Washington, D.C. with the SDPA. I have the distinct honor of being with Dr. Janana Koye. How are you, Dr. Koye? I'm well, thanks. Enjoying the meeting. Great. And this is your first time at the SDPA, I understand. Yes. And uh, you also made it aware to me that you actually have been watching Dermcast TV for some time now. I've been watching Dermcast. I've been listening to the podcast. So I won't be watching this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet you a lot of people will because you talked, you had several lectures, you have several more coming. You have many topics of interest, uh, special topics of interest, uh, mm -hmm. skin of color, diseases in skin of color. You mm -hmm. spoke uh, earlier today on hair loss yes. in, in patients of color. And this was applicable to uh, any of these diseases, uh, hair loss, or really of any skin type. Everything mm -hmm. you said was applicable to these diseases in, in, in total. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that struck me uh, about uh, these diseases that you talked about is the psychosocial impact. And it's very easy when you're taking care of someone and you're walking out the door and they mention hair loss. Right. And then we all sort of do this maybe, you know, quasi quiet eye roll. Yes. But you know what? This hair is a big deal to women and yes. men, yes. particularly women. You know, these diseases tend to, to affect uh, women. And what it does at a psychosocial level Talk about that a little bit. Can you tell of any specific experiences that you've had? Yeah, you know, just like many dermatologic diseases, hair loss has just this huge impact on patients' quality of life. So their self-esteem, their self-worth, their relationships. And so, you know, one of the patients that really impacted the way I practice um, and the way I treat hair loss patients is this woman who I met when she was a newlywed. And she had basically end-stage alopecia, and she had never taken off her wig uh, with her wow. now husband throughout all of their dating, and now they were married, wow. they were living in the same home, and he had never seen her without a wig. As a matter of fact, he didn't know she had alopecia. Wow. So she had this elaborate ritual at night where she would have to wait for him to go to bed, go to the bathroom, take off the wig, hide it, put on a scarf, go to bed, wake up before he would, wake up and reapply it. And it just really brought home to me what this means for people and that, for their lives and their family lives and their relationships. That is astounding. It's almost like she was living a double Two life. Two lives, yeah. Oh my gosh, and yeah. all the way through the dating, all the way through the courtship, through yeah. their active marriage. Yeah. Unbelievable, and this is, what, this is the patient that you treated. Wow, yes. and what was her disease state? She had end-stage CCCA. Wow, so and again, a potentially devastating disease. I mean, the, the, the word scarring is right in the name of the disease. Right. This is obviously that's, that's affecting at very high levels of psychosocial mm -hmm. functioning. Mm -hmm. So we probably see this, this is potentially can happen in any one of this disease. Do you, how do you manage this with folks? Do you find yourself referring them to someone specific for help? Do, you, yeah. do they seek psychiatric help, counseling, et cetera? How often do you find that you have to do that? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think that many women who come with scarring, alopecia, many of them have found a way to cope. And sometimes the coping mechanisms are healthy, sometimes they're not. And I really try to sit and get to know patients. It takes longer, of course. Um, and if you have the time, I would say book 20 minutes if you can for, for an alopecia visit, just so patients have time to talk to you about what they're doing, how they're doing. And I think sometimes we underestimate our effect on That's patients. That's a good point. And just having that relationship with their dermatology provider that they know every two to three months, they have someone they can share with, that may be enough. 
They may have coping mechanisms that are already in place. They may be in a support group. Um, there's a group in DC called uh, Sisters with Attitude and Baldness or something like that. They have a really cute name where these are all women with alopecia who choose to wear their hair completely bald. And they talk about makeup, they talk about coping, they, they get together and take care of each other. Wow. So, I refer patients to support groups and, you know, just because I think this is important in Durham in general, I have a list of, you know, providers, whether it's psychotherapy or psychiatry in whatever city I'm in. Um, and I will give it to patients if, say, you know, do you feel like you're, this is an extra burden on you? Are you really stressed out about this? Are you losing sleep? You make a great point, I think, in terms of uh, being the clinician to evaluate them. I personally found in my practice that when you see uh, these women with these and you are able to identify a disease and simply give a name to it, it's somewhat therapeutic. Yes, then you can say, all right, we know what it is. Here are some treatments. And then there's that seems to be therapeutic in and of itself mm -hmm. in terms of uh, giving them something to look towards yes. because they thought they didn't understand it. They thought there was no help. So that I think that's very important. That's I think an important piece of information. So the psychosocial impact, uh, the physical impact of these uh, diseases, we know that they often have to go on very complex treatments. Mm -hmm. We have topical things we try, intralesional steroids, et cetera, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of systemic treatment. I think the thing a lot of clinicians wonder or struggle with is, Where's my endpoint? Mm -hmm. Where do I know that I've gotten ahead of this disease? How can I make sure that it's better or perhaps controlled or gone? Mm -hmm. Do you have any, uh, any pearls for that? Yeah, you know, it's much easier with uh, the patients who have symptoms, right? So if they have redness, um, itching, burning, pain, they are, those patients are much easier to follow because you know that once you're finished with your treatment, so I usually treat patients for a full year where we do injections uh, every six to eight weeks, after which I start spacing out the treatments every three months, every four months. And at every visit, you're asking, has there been any return of your symptoms? And you're looking for redness, scale, and that sort of thing. They're the easy ones because you will know if the disease is coming back. The patients who are asymptomatic, which is actually quite a lot of our alopecia patients, that's a little bit more difficult. So I ask patients to tell me if they think the disease has stabilized. Do you feel like you're still losing hair? So and just to clarify, to mm -hmm. clarify, you mean folks who are, they have their balding pattern, yet the inflammation's not there, the itching's not there, the pain's not there, the visible erythema's not there. Mm -hmm. That's who you're talking about. Okay. Yes. And you know, some of those patients, even though the inflammation isn't obvious, it's still ongoing. So I, I really get them involved. I take photographs um, and can so I can compare photographs from visit to visit so that I can assess for stability. Right. So once the disease has stabilized, no more hair loss, no redness, no pain, no itching, no burning, then I start spacing out the treatments even more every six months. And after about a year and a half, two years of that regimen, um, if there's still no progression, then I think that that's stable disease. At which point patients are then, um, uh, they now have options like hair transplantation. Hair transplantation. So that's, and what I'm hearing here is that this is a commitment. I mean, you know, there's no quick fix here, no, right? You, no. You're in for the long haul with these folks. So perhaps, again, it goes on hand in hand with the therapeutic sort the of counseling side. Mm -hmm. you're, maybe you're enough 
for them that you know visible and tangible security blanket for them mm -hmm. to say okay i'm moving forward in my disease and hair transplant this is something interesting to me so uh, we know that this is an inflammatory condition uh, it acutely causes hair loss uh, it can scar so how viable is hair transplant as a therapeutic option, where does it fit as a therapeutic mm -hmm. option in terms of these diseases? It really only fits in those patients who have undergone treatment and have shown for at least six months, maybe even a year, that their disease is stable and there's no more inflammation because, you know, hair transplant is, is quite a big investment it's, financially. It's not cheap. And right. so you want to do everything you can to maintain the integrity of the transplant. So if there's any inflammation, the transplant will be at risk. And so if patients are eligible for transplant, meaning they've had quiescent disease, then I would still do some kind of maintenance therapy after their transplant. Again, just trying to keep that, um, keep those, those follicles in place. So whether that's hydroxychloroquine or topical steroids two, three times a week, intralesional steroids every three, four months, I would do that almost prophylactically. It makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think the thing about hair transplant, uh, if you go to some of the larger institutions, they often in their contracts guarantee that their plugs will stay. Mm. So uh, I think many of them are hesitant to treat these folks because sure. they don't, if they have an underlying uh, uh, disease state driving their alopecia, uh, they, they don't want to do the plugs because they might keep falling out and they'll have to keep doing them. Right. So I, I think that's a, a curious scenario. Well, it's good to know that it is uh, still an option. Let me ask you one more question about diagnostics in terms of uh, endpoints. Do you tend to biopsy again at some point, a year out, uh, a point of stability? Mm -hmm. Is there somewhere where you would biopsy to look and see what's going on? And would you use that information? Not usually. I, I tend to just look clinically and, and because I think that the scalp really tells you what's going on, whether it's with the signs of inflammation, like redness of scale or the symptoms of inflammation, like itching, burning, or just hair loss. I think clinically you can get that information. Additionally, in some patients with CCCA, the biopsy would, even in the beginning, would just show fibrosis, not necessarily inflammation, right. but we know that inflammation was at the root of that fibrosis. Right. So I'm not sure the biopsy post-treatment would be as helpful. Right. Okay. Well, that's a huge wealth of information. I'm sure we could talk about this for a long time, but I think those are very important points to recap. You mentioned psychosocial impact, mm -hmm. a referral to uh, uh, community-based uh, support. Uh, that, that's something that probably was not forefront in my mind, but I think that's a great suggestion mm -hmm. as well as to professionals who can help counsel these folks, as well as taking the responsibility as a clinician to uh, do it yourself. And in terms of endpoint, it's a long haul, you know, yes. sort of watching them over time and sort of stretching out routines and, and frequent enough observation to know if the disease mm -hmm. has, has uh, subsided or is under control. Well, thanks so much. See, that was painless, right? Piece <laughs> of cake. I can't wait to listen to this. I still won't watch it. Oh my gosh. I'm going to email it to you. I'm going to make sure you watch it. I'm going to watch the, make sure you open it and everything. I'll send it over to the folks at Howard. I'll make sure they watch it and you won't be able to avoid it. Well, thanks so much for supporting the SCPA. We are absolutely pleased to have someone with your academic background and uh, uh, your expertise. Thank My you pleasure. so much for sharing everything with us. We hope you'll come back uh, to the SCPA and, and to Dermcast TV. We'll have those you know, teleprompters set up for you next time <laughs> okay. so you feel better. Thank thanks you. a lot, Dr. Pleasure. Koya. Pleasure. Thanks again for watching Dermcast TV. Rob Kiskeho in Washington, D.C.